you have your Bibles, you can open up to Romans 12. We're going to hit that in just a minute. Just kind of want to, if you're, your visitors probably, you're, you're part 12. So we did have 11 parts before this. Uh, so it's kind of nice to get a little summary of what this was all about. And maybe looking at the songs that we had, I think, think it sets it up very well. These songs are about what, what the eternal benefit is for believing in Jesus. And that's, you know, he lives, we get to be with him forever. Our, our sins are forgiven and we have a connection with him that's real and strong through the spirit now. But it's kind of like back in Acts when all those people came uh, forward after Peter's great sermon. They repented, they became believers, their hearts were transformed, they received the Holy Spirit, they got baptized, and then they said the great question everybody should ask, what do we do now? Now that I'm a Christian, what do I do with the rest of the time in this world I have? So this is, we're going to try to connect the knowledge to action. That's what the whole series has been about. We had, this again is off a of Barna's book called Think Like Jesus, which is kind of what we're looking at. That's what a Christian worldview is. It's thinking like Jesus which is a biblical worldview. We hit those really hard. And as we look at this, you know, the first step to doing this is to know the seven worldview questions. If you can know the questions, and that's really nice. Uh, Socrates would be proud of you. Knowing the questions is wonderful. But knowing the answers is actually just a little bit better. Um, and so you see them uh, there on the screen, the, the, the seven things, you know, does God exist? What is God's nature? And all of this we answered through Scripture. What was the reason he created at all? What's the nature of us? What do we need? What's our problem and what is the solution? What happens to people when they die, which we've sung about a lot for those who are in Christ, what's the reality of spiritual authorities? We looked at angels and demons and Satan and, and uh, of course, the Holy Spirit and how that all interacts and what that means to us. And then last week we hit what is truth, which is kind of the core, looking at Christ who said he is the truth. So one thing you can do, and I don't know if you knew this, epistles are this way. They start with kind of a theological framework. Ephesians is this way, and so is Romans. They start with all this good stuff about who is Jesus, who is the church, what did he do, how does that work? And that's the first 11 chapters of Romans talks about creation, talks about conscience, it talks about fallenness, being slaves to sin, all the way up to that great chapter 8, that therefore now we have no condemnation and we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And so what happens when you get to chapter 12? All that theology gets done and now you get a few chapters of how to apply this. So this is a transforming it. So it's from connecting knowledge. So we're just going to hit the first three verses here, but I encourage you to read. Again, it's nice to have the first part to know what we believe, and these second parts of these epistles tell us what we do now that we believe. So it's a way to apply it. So you've probably heard these. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So you see, this is a transitional verse. It says, okay, now we know this stuff. What are we going to do with it? 
And you always want to go back to it. I never say, you know, just read through Romans 1 through 11 quick and then just focus on 12 through 16. No, you need to keep going back. Same thing here. Keep going back to those questions. You know, the, all of those sermons are out there. The outlines are there. You have it all. So the next one is just kind of a personal thing. We're not going to have you sign any documents, but uh, just commit to having a biblical world. You probably have already done that, <laughs> but, but it's still nice to do, right? Nice to think about that. You know, it, it's, it's the idea that Jesus just doesn't want to change the way you act, although he does. He wants to change the way you think. You want to think like Jesus, and that's not that hard. It's just follow what he told us to. And then as this says, be transformed. I like that you're, the, you're, you're not the one doing that. You can't transform yourself. But this is not just about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that you talk about in John 3, where everyone must be born of the Spirit to, to see the kingdom of God. That's there, but it's this ongoing transformation. And that's the biggest problem, I think, in Christian walk is we get in the game and we forget that it's not just to get in to heaven, and that is wonderful, and that is one of the main things, but it's, you're, you're supposed to be making disciples, not just decision makers. And this will help you do that. And you can see I get a little passion about this because this helped me as a young Christian. How do I do this? It, it's probably want this type of thing. It's like, you know, I think I can not only do this pretty well, although we all fall short, but I'm starting to think like him enough, and that's essentially why I thought, you know, maybe I should switch careers, you know? Not making enough money here as an actuary. That's not true. That was a, yeah. Making plenty of money, that wasn't a problem, but it was something about this type of stuff in a few other books. So you get that biblical where you can all do this. So you lead this trance to you apply what you know. That's the hardest part. You know, knowing is, is great, but applying it is the way to do it because uh, everywhere there's spiritual warfare. We talked about that with question six. And step four, I wanna, this actually isn't in Barna's book, but you know, I'm doing the sermon, so we're going to add a fourth step. Um, realize that you enjoy all this. Uh, I think, think sometimes we forget that. It can become a joy to honor and know God better through these things. Psalm 37 is such a good, you know, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think too often we forget the first part of that verse. Oh, Lord, give me the desires of my heart. And I don't think that's a bad prayer. But this whole sermon series, the whole, really what, the Spirit tries to do uh, to us as, as believers and image bearers is to get us to delight in what God's will is. You know, if you come to worship, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to put a burden on you because we all come to worship and, you know, sometimes they're like, meh, especially when it's like snowing, which it's not today. It's a very nice day. But just think about, it's not that you're all, I'm not saying to conjure up feelings. God can do that for you. Just know that this is something that should be enjoyable to me, that this is something that's good for me. And then the, I think the mountaintop experiences will happen for you. Maybe not every time. If you're bored in worship, it's not God's fault. Might be my fault, most likely Aaron's. But, <laughs> but I think it's, it's, that's what you come here to know God, and he says if you come, he will show himself. He will be among us. So this is one to always remember. It's not a drudgery. Yes, there's times. I realize that. Any relationship you have is not all, you know, wonderful times and mountaintop experiences. And it's the same thing with the relationship with God. But there's one great 
huge difference. Every other relationship you have, the other person may fall short of the trust that you've given them. That's never going to happen with Jesus. That's why it's unique, and you can delight in the Lord. So I wanted to put that one in there. It's just something I, I don't like it. If you come into a Bible study, I don't want you to say, well, I got to go to Bible study. No, I'm saying I get to go to Bible study because the teacher's just wonderful. <laughs> Hopefully the, the one we point to is the wonderful, right? Or you get to serve, you know. I'm sure when you're serving in a place like Nepal, there might be once in a while or a little bit annoying. Um, never happens here. But Again, delight yourself. What are you doing it for? What's the purpose of this to, to do what God has told us to? And the other thing to remember is how does this change? The change, and you get some gifts, you get more in 1 Corinthians 12. But here in Romans 12, most people, I would say well beyond 99% of people in the history of Christianity serve where they're gifted. Calling's there, but those are far and rare. They're even far and rare in the Bible. You all have a general calling to follow Jesus. Where are you gifted? That doesn't mean what you like, because I really would like, I like, I would, I would like to play the drums. But I'm not gifted. So you go somewhere else with that. Just because you like, but that's something to try. Sometimes you just have to try stuff. Sometimes a church will say, we need this, and you don't think you're gifted in it, and you might just find out you are. But think about that. Serve God through gifts. Don't worry about the calling. If God wants to call you, it'll come soon enough that you can bloom where you're planted all the time. So when we look at things, and in our culture, there's a lot of non-Christian things, a lot of not thinking like Jesus. So what can we do? Well, we can start developing some habits. If you want to think like Jesus, you're going to kind of assess how he lived. Perhaps read through a gospel. I actually did that. I said, I, you should do that. So last night, between about 8 and 9, I read through Luke and tried to just get a feeling of where's Jesus going. Just have geography in my mind, and what is he doing? And it's so interesting. He, he went, and he preaches, and then he withdraws and prays. And then he goes to, a, goes to a dinner and talks about the gospel and gives some parables, and then he withdraws. And it's just this engagement, withdrawal, engagement, withdrawal. And he's always withdrawing to be with his father. And he does that in Gethsemane at the end. You know, it's just that engagement, and that's kind of the way we need to do it. We don't want to get too busy where we can't withdraw, and we're going to get too withdrawn that we never engage. So he's got a pretty good cadence there. And, you know, if you read about Jesus, which is the primary way we get to know him, you do get to know him pretty well. I mean, I read through Luke. This is probably the, you know, how many times have I read through Luke? I don't know, a bunch. And there were still things. And I was just pretty much skimming it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is good. <laughs> we should know that, right? But sometimes we're surprised. You know, so you see those repetitive uh, times of his life and the elements. So do the same with your life. What, what, if you look at that, how am I similar? How am I different? You're not Jesus, but you can still look at his pattern and try to think about that in your own occupation or school, wherever you're at. Because you think about it, your behavior is a direct outgrowth of what you believe to be true and significant. That pretty much may, and sometimes we do fall short of that. I realize that. The behaviors you repeat are the core reflection of your world. That's why, I mean, whatever it is, just get the Jesus stuff going. I would start in the morning. It's a good time to start. doesn't have to be long. But try to think, you know, I've said the same prayer every, every day when I wake up. Lord, may this day be for you, and may maybe actions be honoring. 
That's it. I mean, it's kind of short. It's not real deep. <laughs> but I can do that, and I'm not even quite out of the bed yet. Um, but that's just something to think about. Just get you focused, you know, and you can do it in each one. And that's what's so cool about this. Every one of you can have are unique, and every one of you can come up with a unique way. But if you need, want some ways, let me know. Uh, or let others know that are doing it. So time. How you use it tells much about what you truly value. And again, I don't want you to look at this as, man, I don't spend enough time, and I'm not, you know, that's not the point here. If you don't, then deal with that. If you're guilty, then try to deal some, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit is guilting you for a good reason. He's going to convict us of that. But look at this as a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, we all have time to do things. What are we using it for? And this isn't always spending 24 hours, you know, there's that scripture that says that we're supposed to pray always. Well, what does that mean? Are we not doing that now? Well, technically, no. So I guess we're violating that sucker. Um, obviously, it means something. It, that's essentially the verse that says, think like Jesus all the time. Make sure that that connection's always there. Jesus spent time with the Father in serving others. That's essentially what we should have at our core. And then this question. It's always sobering for all of us. How well do your choices of how to spend your time conform to a biblical world? I'm remembering right if I do my math, 24, carry them out. So I think it's 168. You have 168 hours in a week. If you worshiped one time a week, if you studied with other Christians one time a week, if you maybe served in a ministry in your church every time, we, you know, it was what, four or five hours? Still got like a 164 left. Yeah, I got to sleep, I guess. We got to subtract those out. But just start slow, just like anything else. And, I, and, and many of you are already doing that, but this is a way to think about that. It's always, it's, but the thing is, don't think about this where there's a judge up there that if I don't do this, and he says, oh, you didn't spend enough time with me this week. That's not the way it is. This is a loving father. This, you know, I really like spending some time with you. you know, don't want to turn into the, the older folks will probably know this, uh, the cat's in the cradle, right? When are you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together again. And sometimes we do that with God. When are you going to pray to me? When are you going to serve me? When are you going to try to know more about me through my word? Well, we'll get together then, won't we? And we kind of think like, well, I got my get-out-of-hell-free card, and we'll just wait till that happens. But that's not what we're asked to do. We're asked to, I mean, that's the beauty of it, and that's the joy of it, that he's stooping down and saying, you, I want to spend time with you now. We can spend time later too, but, and boy, don't we need it. I mean, I think that's probably why most of you are here, right? Because you need him, and you know that. Character. So here's a bunch of characters. We'll get into some scriptures here. What character qualities are important to God? This, this kind of permeates the whole book. But faith maturity, this has to be your goal, folks. You know, Paul got mad at the Corinthians because they were, they were just juvenile in the faith. That's fine. But following Jesus means that you need to continue to develop a mature knowledge and trust of him, the better you know him, the more you'll And the less you know him, the less you'll trust him. The verse from 1 Corinthians, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I mean, somewhat childish to say, well, I don't really need to worship. Where have you read that? Or I don't need to get to know God better through his word. Where, where's that in there? That's childish, folks. It's quite dull, too. Got to be careful with that. So trustworthiness. Are you trustworthy? Not just in other people, but in what, what, what people see you. Like Jesus uh, said, 
his brother James here is kind of quoting him a little bit from the Sermon on the Mount. But above all, my brothers, do not swear by either heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You know, are you, is it, it, the trustworthy is a character because it's a Christian character, right? It's a Christ character. If Jesus says, if you repent, I will forgive you, can we trust that? Well, if some, you say, somebody says to you, will you forgive me? Can they trust that you'll follow what he said? You've got to be trustworthy. And then promoting truth. We can do this so many times. You're going to get so many opportunities to do this. And a lot of times I find, and I know we should all know this, I find when I pray for opportunities, I get more. Isn't that weird? It's almost like he's listening. I think that's a, that's a good one. We'll, we'll, we'll pray for that at the end. We'll pray for all y'all. And maybe you'll get some opportunities to not only think like Jesus, but maybe promote truth. Um, John 8's the, the key when we had this last week, too, because we are looking through truth. If you abide in my word, let's just stop there for a second. That's the key. Abide in it. I've told you this once. I've told you this a thousand times, and I'm never going to shut up about it. The closer you are to the word, the closer you'll be to Jesus. Your motive when you open that book should be, how do I get to know him better? what he gave it to us for. And all the other stuff will be taken care of. So if you abide in my word, now you're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. No other truth will. Wisdom. This is the thing. We think, do we think God's going to tell us every time? You know, I don't know. Let's see, it's Sunday, and the pastor hopefully won't go long. And where are we going to eat? So we just wait for God to tell us. I don't think that's the way this works. You use wisdom. Maybe don't go to the place that hurts your stomach. I don't know, just use some wisdom there. And that's clearly benign. I'm talking about, you know, other things. But what is wisdom? It's applying knowledge in a God-honoring way, at least in the Bible. You get this in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Have you ever thought about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? That does not seem like that would fit. Jesus is so nice and so wonderful and so... But if you first encounter the gospel... The first thing you're going to see it everywhere. You see it in Peter and the catch of fish. The first thing you're going to feel is guilt if the Spirit's working on you. And maybe even fear because you're a sinner in the hand of a holy God. Now that, that fear changes to reverence once you know him and accept the grace and then live a life of gratitude. But that's the beginning. Too many people, we had this last week too, too many people come to Christ without repenting. Too many people come to Christ to clean up their life or give them uh, special things or special favors. That's not the start of the gospel. It always starts with repentance, and repentance obviously is always pointing to guilt. Um, and if you don't like it, you're welcome to get your own gospel. But that's the one that's in the Bible. Virtuous morality. You know, this is a big problem. It's been a big problem in every culture. Rome was not the most uh, uh, wonderfully... Uh, sexually pure place, and, and, and so neither was Greece. But so you want to follow God's guidelines and, and notice, including sexual behavior, substance abuse, and integrity. These are the three things that pretty much always mess up a culture. And as I said before, I don't know if we can change our culture. We're supposed to. We're going to try. But we got to better darn well be sure that the culture doesn't change us. Uh, and hopefully we can, it can permeate through 
But I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And we'll see what that walking by the Spirit looks like at the end. Have a Christ-like demeanor. I don't, I, you probably don't know this, but I, I mean, once in a while when you watch political dialogue, they're not always nice to each other. You ever see that? In fact, I was watching a news thing and one of them was yelling. Whoa. Posh, you know. <laughs> but we're not supposed to do that, are we? Well, we can yell if you want, I guess, but it should be in a good way. Like, thank you for hitting that homer. Getting that double play. I remember in St. Louis, that was about uh, two weeks ago. Looks like they're coming back and we got that great double play. And so I yelled. So you can yell sometimes, right? That's okay. But in temperate and speech, you have plenty, and this is just a general scripture, but it's from if you, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Well, what does that mean? How do I imitate God? Okay, I have to be non-physical. That's hard. Only non-physical. I have to be triune. That one's hard. Um, I don't see how I am. What's that mean? It's just like John 1. You know, let just take Jesus by the hand and let him show you. He shows us. Imitate the way Jesus acted and you'll imitate God. Have a charitable heart. For each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or in compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Even in giving, we're supposed to delight. We've always said, you know, that's our stewardship drive. Give what you think God wants you to, and if you don't want to give it, don't, because... I don't want grumpy givers because neither does God. And just a short commercial message. Our church, the way we do giving to missionaries is we usually just give them kind of a, you know, it's decent, but it's not going to, you know, get them too much over the top. But the whole idea is we put it in the budget. We do, uh, we pray for them. We're with them. But then we have them come and you get to meet them. And perhaps you think, you don't have to do it today, whenever, Pray about it. Think about it. Can you afford it? You know, take a card. Most of our missionaries get a lot more support from the individuals than they ever get from the whole congregation. That's our model. Because we want it to be personal to you. And that's just a end of commercial message onto the sermon. Proper values. Value what God values. This is pretty good. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And this second one, this, this verse 34 is, I mean, we all know it, but it's one of my favorite verses because it just kind of sets up your whole day, your whole week, your whole month, maybe your whole life. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And I know what it says up there, but my best translation is, today's troubles are enough for today. I just, I've always liked that. Today's troubles are enough. How wise that is. That's what anxiety is, right? Worrying about something that hasn't happened yet. That doesn't mean you can't plan. Jesus tells us to plan. But there's a difference between planning and worrying. You know, what if this happens and we don't make our flight and whatever, you know? Well, can you change that now? You know, people worry about hurricanes. And it's like, I still have not seen anybody stop one yet. You might want to plan and don't be anxious. But today's troubles are enough today. Another way to put that is tomorrow is not necessarily promised to you. We don't know. God knows. And I look around and we all deal with that, right? We don't know. So why don't we try to do today what would honor God, whether tomorrow comes or not. Have a servant's heart. 
you know, Jesus said it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Servant leadership, serving uh, others, and sacrificing for other people, especially other followers of Christ. This is in there everywhere. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. There's hundreds of one another's in there. It's just how to serve each other as fellow Christians. And finally, this is always a good one. And it doesn't take long. I, re- I know in my life, uh, every time I get cocky, hum- humility comes fairly quickly. I, I guess I just have to thank God for that. Um, humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. When when's he going to do that? I don't know. How's he going to do that? Don't know that either. That's up to him. This is just coming from Scripture. But humility is very, you always look for that, especially in leadership, Christian leadership. Do they take themselves too seriously? This is important. We're preaching. I took the time. I mean, God's put this out here. We're trying to reveal it. But, you know, know, sometimes a donkey talked in the Bible. It's not, don't get too carried away. You're not, you know, oh, God has gifted me. He's gifted a lot of people. And just keep it in perspective. And then fruit. Um, you know, it's the Bible's word for things that you do, the, the, the obedient actions that you have. And this is such a, and most of I think the kids know this. We went through those, these nine fruits of the Spirit. And this was one we grow up with, we think we know. But if you step back each day, and somebody wiser than me, much wiser than me, made me quite humble, um, told me to step back before you go to bed and see how many of these you did well. It'll get you humble. Did you love? Did you show joy? Do you have peace, even through the midst of the storm? You have patience. Everybody's like, that's the one you mess up on the most, don't you? Yep. Getting better, a little bit. Like I said, I'm, I'm not, I can do patience. I just wish it would hurry up. Um, but it's just not, it's not a gift. It's not a gift. Especially, I remember as an actuary, we'd have these, these team meetings, and I already knew the answer. It's not that hard, what we should do. And I had to wait for these other people to come along board. And that was not a good meeting. You have to learn patience. And, and in the church, somebody told me that maybe I should listen to other people's input. And then that's worked out pretty well. Just listen sometimes. And even in Bible studies, you know, yes, I, you study it, you learn the languages, you want to, but I wouldn't say I've ever done a Bible study here, and I've done thousands of them, that I didn't learn something from somebody when they said, because you get their perspective. It's, it's so patience. Um, if you want to pray for your pastor, then that would be one. Kindness. You can be kind to anyone, right? And do, do I do that? Now, again, you don't have to be kind to the person who's trying to steal your car at that point. You can try to stop them to steal your car. I mean, I'm, you know, don't be silly about this. But in the situation, did you treat somebody in a way that you probably shouldn't have done? Goodness is close to that, but goodness is more just of like a character quality where kindness is more of an action. They kind of go once together. And then faithfulness, you wonder why that's in here. Well, that's pretty good if you're kind of doing your, it's like, was I faithful today? Or is there a time when I really kind of threw Jesus under the bus? 
You know, this one is that. Who are you trying to please? You trying to please yourself? Are you trying to please everybody else? Or are you trying to please God? Well, pleasing God is faithfulness. Gentleness. This is not just a woman thing here, guys. Gentleness is that demeanor to come to someone and say that my motive is to do something to help you and not hurt you and to come alongside you. And the last one I really like because it, we see this sometimes in churches where we get lost in this and we think this is something that is of the Spirit, but self-control. Everybody who walked by the Spirit in the Bible, which is just a way of saying be obedient to God, was under their faculties. They knew what they were doing. They were lucid in their conversation. Everything was there. And when that doesn't happen, one has to think, well, what spirit is this? If it's a spirit of confusion and not self-control. doesn't mean you can't have fun. You can put your hand up. We're not going to set you down. I'm just talking about worship. And worship is fun. You get to, you know, I'm kind of a, just kind of a worship guy. I just I try to get the hand up, but just that muscle has trouble. And we got people put there, great, do what you want, you know. If you want to, I'm not going to even try to do it, but get on, you can get on YouTube and watch the Tim Hawkins where he does, he does it much better. And you end up with touchdown. It's really kind of, kind of cool. But this is kind of key. The, the Holy Spirit is in our lives. If we're following Christ, we should see this fruit. Because that's hard in Christian, in, when, when we're Christian disciples. It's like, how do I know I'm doing what God wants? Well, here's one way. It's not the only way. But this is a way to kind of make an assessment. And, and if you're having trouble knowing that, you know, I think that's why God invented spouses. Not the only way, right? It's always nice to have somebody that looks at it from a little bit different perspective. Oh, yeah, I was patient. And they're going to go, what? <laughs> you just yelled at the guy at McDonald's because it took three minutes instead of two. Well, yeah, other than that, we, we tend to have blinders on sometimes. It's always nice to have an accountability partner or partners to, to, to hold us. But again, what are we doing this for? Oh, I'm not doing good enough. God doesn't like. No, God loves you. He died for you. He just wants to help you out like a loving father. Are we doing better? And again, I hope that you have some joy in it and like it and not think this is a drudgery. If this is just another drudgery at the end of your day, then I wouldn't even do it. Maybe you could start that way, but if that's all it is, that's not what this is about. Relationships aren't about just jumping through some hoops. It's about caring about the person that you have the connection with. So, so none of us perfectly reflect these qualities. I don't know if we, but it is the goal, right? I don't see anywhere here and say, well, there's a lot, these are, there's nine, these are tough, you know, do the best you can. No, we're supposed to do these. And when we don't, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and confess that we've fallen short and our loving and gracious God will say, yeah, okay, thanks for letting me know. Stand back up and let's do better. But I think there should be ample evidence of progress, at least in some ways. I mean, if you're a Christian and nothing looks better after 20 years, well, I would wonder if maybe you're not. Not because it's works-based, but this transformation should have something, not, not in everything, but at least somewhere, should be trending up in something. Because that's the way, how do you, if that's not true, how would these ways of knowing if we're doing better be useful because we won't know if we're supposed to or not? Well, God says that we'll do that. So the, in conclusion, what's the challenge? Know the seven worldview questions and answers. They're not that hard to memorize. It's just kind of God, man, resurrection, Jesus, cross. It's not hard. 
Commit to having a biblical worldview. What does that mean? Think like Jesus all the time. How would Jesus attend that Super Bowl party? And then you think, as you walk in, you, you'll remember that you're not Jesus. So, what, what, so I, would, I wouldn't do that. I would more go, how would Jesus be proud by the fact I'm attending this? And that doesn't mean you can't have fun and you can't tease people because that's really easy sometimes. But where, what's your, where's your heart? Who are, you trying, who are you trying to serve and who are you trying to impress? And work to lead a transformed life while enjoying God and his people. Enjoying. If I said that, I think you should enjoy this. I, I don't get it. I know, I know one friend I met in Austin said that he thought if you worshipped and liked it, that that was dishonoring to God. It had to be a sacrifice. Well, sacrifice just is an offering. It has nothing to do with whether it hurts. It has to do with who you're giving it to. But I think it, I mean, did he not read the Psalms? <laughs> <laughs> or Philippians, <laughs> rejoice in the Lord. No, I think it should be fun in some way. So we want to have a life of habits or like Jesus' habits where our time shows that we value what God values and then our character traits should be that those traits that are important to God. And when the fruit in our life shows that we are transformed and want to lead a life that's transformed by the Spirit. Let us pray. Father, uh, Thank you for George Barna, for that book, for all this uh, knowledge of how to think like you, which comes directly from your son and all his apostles that wrote and gave us a wonderful New Testament. As we sing and continue to sing about our faith, we do uh, know that you ask us uh, to lead a life that shows other people Jesus. So I pray that each one here will have at least one, if not more, encounters where they can show that they think like your son. 